Well, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 and hold your place at verse 23. Uh, we'll look at verses 23 through 27 uh, here in just a few minutes. You know, two weeks ago, we looked at Luke uh, 9, 18 through 22, and, and we found in those verses Peter's confession uh, about Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Savior. And we noted from Matthew 16 uh, that, that Matthew 16 provides the full statement that Peter made about Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so we found that Jesus is the Savior who is God. And we talked that week about the disciples' misguided expectations of how Jesus the Savior was going to deliver them. You know, they imagined a great military victory. They imagined a great uh, political uh, deliverance. But Jesus had something else in mind for them. He informed them that the way he was going to deliver people was through rejection, through suffering, through death. And, and that after those uh, things had been uh, suffered, after he had gone through those things, that he would then rise to life Again, so, so Jesus had to set his followers straight on how he was going to go about delivering them. And then last week, Easter Sunday, we focused on what Jesus said about how he'd deliver. We gave our attention to his sacrificial death on the cross and his triumphant resurrection from the dead. We, we uh, noted that his death and resurrection let us know that God welcomes us to come near to him. And his death and resurrection let us know that we've been reconciled to God through Christ, that our problem with God has been resolved, that there is no more enmity between ourselves and God. And we also noted that the resurrection gives us absolute assurance of these facts. God really does welcome us. We really have been reconciled to God through Christ. The, the resurrection offers us proof beyond any shadow of a doubt that Christ's sin atoning work fully resolved our problem with God. And then we ended last week talking about how we can personally benefit from the deliverance that Christ has secured. That, that we receive the benefits of his death and resurrection as we believe the truth about Jesus, that he is Lord and that he has in fact risen from the dead. We believe that truth in our hearts, we confess it with our mouths. And we ended by noting that Romans 10, 13 tells us that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, we pick up in uh, verse nine, uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 23 through 27. And in these verses, Jesus sets out to correct another misunderstanding uh, of the disciples. He had already corrected their faulty understanding of how he would go about delivering, what it was going to look like for him uh, to deliver them. And now he was going to correct their faulty understanding of what it would mean to identify with the Savior, to identify with the Messiah, what it would mean to follow him, to, to be associated with uh, the deliverer. He needed to correct their faulty thinking. I, I mean, think about it. If they really thought that Jesus was going to deliver to them, uh, to the Jewish people, a military victory, a political victory, imagine what they likely thought that was going to mean for them. It was going to mean things like prestige, power, 
positions of authority in the, in the, new, uh, in the new kingdom, in the new government, privilege. They were going to be identified with this, this conquering hero. They were going to have respect. They were going to have honor among the people. But just as they had misunderstood how the Messiah would deliver, they had a misunderstanding of what it would mean to follow the deliverer, what it would mean to to be counted among those who follow after the Savior. And so in the verses we're going to read today, Jesus is making it crystal clear to them what it means, what it's going to look like to be identified with him. His message was for them, but it's also for everyone who would ever follow him. His message are for those of us who are following him now. We need to be reminded of what Jesus tells us it means to follow him. His message that we're going to read in these verses today is for those of you here who may be considering following Jesus. His message is for everyone who will ever commit to following him. Jesus wants us to know exactly what that will look like, what it will mean to belong to him. I submit that these words of Jesus are as needed by Christians today uh, as they were needed by those early disciples of Jesus. Because I think that many of us today are just as confused about what it means to follow the Savior as they were confused as to what it was going to mean to follow the Messiah, their deliverer. You know, oftentimes uh, we believers don't help the situation by the way that we present Jesus, the way that we present the gospel, the the way that we present this offer of, of new life and this offer of following Jesus. We don't help the situation by the way that we present those things to people who are considering entrusting their lives to God. Sometimes we say things like this. If you turn your life over to Jesus, life is going to be better for you. Well, yes and no. Yes, it's better that you no longer are going to face eternal damnation. That's good. But it might not mean that life is going to be easier for you, if that's what we mean by better. It may not mean that. And that's often what gets conveyed in some of our messages. We say things like this. If you turn uh, to Jesus as your Savior, He's going to fix your problems for you. Well, yes and no. Some problems will be fixed. But other problems will arrive with the decision to follow Jesus. You know, the situation isn't helped by what we uh, see as the Christian witness on uh, television. You know, there are way too many uh, people presenting the gospel on TV that really is not a gospel. And so you've seen things like this. Sow your seed and financial blessing will come your way. One of my very favorite childhood preachers, a, a, a guy who is from my background, you know, like, like he, he's like, he's one of my people. But, but he's on TV all of the time, and he does things like this. It just drives me absolutely nuts. I can't believe this is the guy that I so revered. He says things like this. 
Because Mark eleven twenty four 24 says that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have it and it will be yours. I declare that those of you right now who go to your phone and give $112.40, he adds a zero to the eleven twenty four, um, you're going to get a financial blessing. Tell God what you want, write the check, and blessing is coming your way. We, we scoff at that. But a Pew Research poll revealed that 46% of Christians in America believe that God will grant material riches to Christians who just have enough faith to receive it. For many, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is, this is what they have become convinced it means to follow Jesus. Jesus will dispense every material blessing to us that our hearts can desire. Uh, a famous TV preacher, uh, I will leave unnamed because I'm guessing some of you like this TV preacher, so I don't want to meddle any more than I, than I must. But a famous TV preacher said, if you stay in your faith, You are going to get paid. I'm now living in my reward. The the payment in context was financial payment. Stay in your faith. You're going to get paid. Another said this, when we pray, believing that we have already received what we are praying for, God has no choice but to make your prayers come to pass. You know, in previous years, I had prayed some of those prayers, and God seemed to have a choice. <laughs> he, uh, he did not seem to be duty-bound to, uh, to answer that prayer. But God, He said, you have no choice. Where's the money? Here's another uh, quote from a a famous preacher. You would probably all know these people. God uses words to create what he wants to exist. Christians have the same ability. For example, when there is lack in your life, call forth abundance to replace it. And another famous preacher, and I want to be clear on this one. I, I actually really like this person, uh, but I'm convinced that their message is less than complete and a a little misguided, uh, wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. Your Best Life Now. And so this is what many people come into following Jesus expecting. That Jesus is going to provide for them their best life now. Of course, this turns the teachings of Christ, of Paul, and of the entire New Testament, absolutely on their head, since they all thought that the best life was yet to come. Not now, but yet to come. And so this is the type of thinking that I believe Jesus is correcting in our text today. And so why don't you follow along, if you're holding your place there, follow along as I read Luke 9, 23 through 27. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, let me try to quickly uh, dispense with a, uh, a concern that often gets a, attached to this passage so that then we can look at the real heart of the passage. Uh, this statement of Jesus that some would not taste death until they saw the kingdom of God has uh, perplexed folks. And, uh, and people have thought that it meant that, that there were some there that day who were not going to taste death until Christ returned uh, again, until the, the second coming. And since that obviously did not happen, it has led people to believe if perhaps Jesus was just mistaken uh, about what he said uh, that particular uh, day. Uh, there are a number of answers to this that have been presented over the years. Some have said that Jesus was referencing the transfiguration uh, that we read about just in the next few verses. Uh, some have said he is referencing his resurrection and ascension. Some have said he's referencing Pentecost, the, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Uh, some have said that he's referencing the spread of Christianity. Uh, some have said that he's referencing the internal development of the gospel. Some have said that he's referencing uh, the future destruction of Jerusalem. William Barclay, uh, um, a theologian who I just really enjoy reading, simply asserts that Jesus' statement means this. Before this generation has passed away, you will see signs that the kingdom of God is on its way. I'm not here to resolve which of those things is, is the correct answer. I'm here just to assure you there is a correct answer and that Jesus was not mistaken. That there are a number of possibilities as to what, uh, what he meant. Uh, I actually like Barclay's uh, explanation real well, but he was not referencing uh, the second coming. So we can be certain that whichever of those answers you decide is best, at least there is an answer. And so with that out of the way, uh, let's move on. Uh, I want us to consider what Jesus lets his followers know they should expect if they're going to follow him. Uh, in fact, I, I think we can go so far as to say that Jesus is letting them know what he demands if they are going to be his followers. He says first, if anyone is going to come after me, he must deny himself. Notice that he doesn't say, if you're going to come after me, you need to understand that you have the same ability to speak things into existence that I have. He, he doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say that if, if you follow after me and you do it long enough, you're going to get paid. That's not what he says. He says that if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to deny yourself. This is an off-putting thing for Jesus to say. I mean, do you like denying yourself? I don't like denying myself, and I don't like being denied by other people. Uh, Michelle and I were out of town at a conference this, uh, this week, and uh, those of you who know me pretty well know that one of my greatest pleasures in life is going to new places and trying out restaurants that I've never been to before. 
So we asked some locals for advice on a place that was unique to that city, and and they gave us uh, this place with their highest recommendation. We went there. There was a there was a long wait, uh, such a long wait that we actually tried the restaurants on either side of this one, and were just about to be seated in one of them actually when they uh, called my phone and said, "Hey, we have a table for you." And so, real quick, before the guy could get back to seat us in the second restaurant, we (laughs) bailed out of that one and ran over to the other one. (laughs) Okay, quick, he can't see us. Let's go. (laughs) And so, the table opened up, and we were able to be seated. We ordered with great anticipation for the arrival of our food, which we were able to anticipate for a really long time (laughs) because uh, the server, I'm convinced, had forgot to put our order in. Of course, he blamed it on how busy they were, but um, I'm pretty confident he forgot to put it in. So anyway, great anticipation. The food is coming out. I'm excited. I'm excited. Beef brisket arrived, or as I like to call it, fat brisket. It was just full of gross, slimy fat. And he tried to tell us, like, that's the way it is. (laughs) Except I could see the table next to me, and that's not the way theirs was. So anyway, gross slime. I'm I'm really taking too much time on this story. Gross, (laughs) slimy fat. And what, what didn't have fat was bland. Here's the point of all this. I was denied a much-anticipated meal. (laughs) And I wasn't happy about it because we don't like being denied anything we want. We don't like this message of Jesus to deny ourselves. I mean, this is something silly and not not a big deal. I was actually pretty highly irritated (laughs) by the denial When it comes to more substantive things, we very quickly become very unhappy with Jesus' demand that we deny ourselves. But Jesus says to follow him means that we have to. He he doesn't say that we're going to have to be willing to seek our best life now. He, He doesn't say any of these things. He says we're going to have to deny ourselves Daryl Bach says that following Jesus requires that we align ourselves with God's will through a humble renunciation of our own agenda. Whatever your agenda is, and at whatever point it differs from God's agenda, which I'm guessing for most of us is at several points that it differs with God's agenda, Jesus calls us to deny our own agenda, to deny ourselves. Barclay goes so far, and I almost question whether I wanted to share this one. It just goes so far, and yet I think he's right. As to say that the call of Jesus is so demanding that it calls us to ignore the existence of self, to treat the self as if it did not exist. So unconcerned are we for ourselves. And so totally surrendered to him. Wow. And this kind of message from Jesus is shocking news to Christians 
who are just looking for a temporal blessing. This comes as shocking news to Christians who thought that what it meant to follow Jesus was going to be health, wealth, and happiness. It comes as shocking news to people who really aligned themselves with with God, really committed to Christ because they hoped that they could co-opt Jesus for their own agenda. God says, if you're going to come after me, your life cannot be about you. You have to deny yourself. And that's not all that he says. He goes on and he says that he must deny himself. The person who's going to follow him must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, now hopefully you already know this, but, it, but if you don't, let me just assure you that Jesus isn't using this in a we all have a cross to bear manner. That, that's not what he's using. You know, we, we use that phrase for any kind of little inconvenience. Often we use it sort of sarcastically. Oh yeah, we all have our cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He is using this in a you must be willing to die for me manner. The cross wasn't a reference uh, to, to some little inconvenience in Jesus' day. The cross was universally understood as an instrument of suffering and death. And so what Jesus is saying to his followers that day, what he's saying to his followers today, and what he's saying to those of us who are considering following him, is that if you're going to, if you're going to come after him, if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to be willing to value him more than life itself. Wow. Those are hard words. Value him more than life itself. You know, in, in our culture, we are not being asked to literally die for the cause of Christ. But are we willing to die to the things that mean so much to us? The, the, the things that we hold so dear. Are we willing to value Christ more than anything else? Do you value Christ more than you value your home? Do you value Christ more than your job? Do you value Christ more than your savings account? Do you value Christ more than your vacation plans? Do we value Christ more than our convenience? Do we value Christ more than trying to achieve our best life now? We have to value Him more. And here's the thing. We have to value Him more even if it means that we do not have our best life now. He says, take up your cross and follow me. He's making it clear to all of us who is following who. Follow me. We follow him. He does not follow us. But we want him to follow us. We want him to take on our agenda, whatever it is. So if our agenda is... 
I'm being a little too sarcastic here today. (laughs) If our agenda is a prime parking space at Walmart, we want God to pick up that agenda. And we thank Him for His favor. If our agenda is convenience, we want Him working full-time on our convenience. And if He doesn't, we become angry. Say, oh, I'm not like that. Oh, you, you might be. Take a look at yourself the next time you're inconvenienced in the slightest way and how you respond to it. I'll just tell you, I have a lot of agenda surrendering that I need to do. And you probably do as well. We want Jesus to be about our convenience. Jesus wants us to know, though, that following him means we deny self, that we come to the place where we're actually willing to die for him, and he wants us to clearly understand that we're following him. He isn't taking on our agenda. And then there's this little word in there, daily. We must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross, and we have to do it daily. It's not a once and done thing. This is ongoing. This is every day. This is our whole lives. Daily deny. Daily cross. Daily follow Him. And yet we are all tempted every single day to find another way. This message is so off-putting that we try to look for other options. We're we're tempted to sort of give a nod to Jesus. You, You know, a courteous nod in the direction of Jesus. Because, you know, we, we know it's really not a good idea to say no to Jesus. We don't want to say, uh, no, I reject this, uh, uh, this call to deny uh, myself. So we nod our approval at what Jesus has to say to us. But then we go on living lives that indicate we don't agree with what he's called us to do. So instead of denying ourselves, taking up our cross... We often choose to do what Jesus describes in verse 24 as saving our lives. Saving our lives. He called us to lose our life, take up a cross, but we decide that we're going to try to save our lives. So so what does it mean when Jesus uh, references our trying to save our lives? Jesus tells us in verse 25, he says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? To gain the world, yet lose or forfeit his very self. It simply means that, to to save our lives, simply means that we reject God's call to self-denial. We reject his call to take up the cross. And instead, we choose a path that values the comforts and conveniences and opportunities of this present world system. We choose those things over following hard After Jesus. What it really means is that we choose to value temporal things over eternal things. It means that we make a decision that how life is best lived is not the way Jesus calls us to live, self sacrificially, willing to give up all, but we decide that the best way to live is trying to squeeze as much enjoyment and pleasure out of this life in this present world system as we possibly can can. And so we start clinging very tightly to the things of this world. 
We cling tightly to money. We cling tightly to sinful practices. We cling tightly to self-fulfillment. We cling tightly to false beliefs that support our primary cause, which is ourselves. We cling tightly to these things because we've convinced ourselves that we need to have our best life now. Here's what Jesus says about people who pass on his call to self-sacrifice and cross-carrying in an attempt to save their lives. He says that whoever tries to save life will lose it. See, the enemy of our souls has been telling us a lie for a very long time. Oh, he's telling us lots of lies. Here's one of the lies he's been telling us. This is all there is. What you see, this life, it's, it's all there is. And even Christians often buy into this lie. We, we don't think we do, but I think in practice we often buy into this lie. And it shows up in, in the kind of statements that we make. We say things like this. Life is short. Life is short. You've got to enjoy it while you can. Now, there's some something in there that's okay. I don't, don't misunderstand me. But, but we say things like this. Life is short. You've got to enjoy it while you can. We say things like, you only go around once. Might as well enjoy yourself. We say things like this. Life is too short to be unhappy. Can I submit something to you today? If you belong to Jesus, if you deny yourself for him, if you take up your cross and follow him, if you've experienced the grace of God and really committed to uh, yourself to following hard after Jesus, life isn't short. Life is eternal. It's not short. What, what, what kind of unchristian understanding is that? That life is short. It's not short. It's eternal. This present life is sort of like reading the the front inside flap of the book and the introduction, that's about what it is, to a book, in a book of infinite length. Life isn't short. Life is eternal. But here's what we do. We believe the lie that this is all there is, that this, this front front flap and the the introduction to the story is all there is. Even if we don't uh, say that we think that's all there is, we often live as though it is. So at some level, we believe the lie that this life is all there is, and so we live as though we have to get maximum enjoyment and pleasure out of this life when what Jesus wants for us uh, is to realize this, that some temporary discomfort in this introduction leads to an eternity of enjoyment. That's what God, that's what Christ wants us to understand. And so he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, whoever gives up in in this uh, futile quest of like getting it all here and now, whoever gives up that, for me, they're going to save life. Barclay says, if we're true to him in time, he will be true to us in eternity. So if trying to save life, if 
trying to wring uh, all we can out of this present world system is the way that we actually lose real life. How can we have real life? Since Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life, since he is the creator and the sustainer of life, he knows how we can really live. He knows how we can have life that is real life. First, to have real life, we must boldly identify ourselves with Jesus. We, we must hear all that he has to say about following him and not shrink back from it. But say, yes, I want that. I want to identify with you. He tells us to follow him. He warns us that if we are ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us. And so if you want to have life that is real life, you have to boldly, I have to boldly identify with Jesus. Don't shirk back from counting yourself among his followers. Don't be embarrassed to identify with him. I'm a Christian. I'm not embarrassed. Really? Really? Examine your conversation. Examine the opportunities you have to humbly uh, share your testimony with people who don't know Jesus. Think of the times that you shrink back from doing it and tell me that we Christians don't struggle with being embarrassed of Jesus. But really, what's to be embarrassed about? I mean, he is truth. He is life. One of my prayers for us is that all of us could get to the place where where. If our friends think that we're crazy for believing, our attitude is, so? So? Why should I be embarrassed about Jesus? Because of the disapproval of someone who's missing out on the life that is really life. Why should I, why should I be like that? Why should you be like that? Boldly identify with Jesus if you want to have real life. Secondly, to have real life, you must lay down your life for Jesus. It's unavoidable. If we're going to have real life, Jesus says, deny. He says, take up the cross. He says, we have to be willing to die. Now, I've already mentioned this, but in our context, we're not really being asked to physically die for Christ. But there are many things that we need to die to, many things that we need to be willing to give up for Jesus. Are you willing to deny yourself and allow your pride to die so that you can share your faith in Christ with someone who doesn't know him, even if it invites to you scorn? Are you willing to die in that way? Am I willing to die in that way? Are we willing to deny ourselves and die to the view that our time is our own and instead realize that our time All of it belongs to Jesus. Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to die to your finances? Not clinging to money like it's your source of life, but loosening your grip on it because you know that in fact Jesus is your source. I mentioned that I was at a conference this week and one of the speakers, David Platt, who wrote the book Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream, shared a convicting message about the two billion people on earth 
who have no Christian witness. They are born, they live, they die. No gospel ever presented to them. And biblically, he made the case as to how they are so utterly hopeless before a just and holy God. And he called on the pastors who were there that day to begin to call for missionaries to rise up from their churches that would be willing to say yes for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, for the salvation of hopeless people. I'll go to people who haven't heard and may not want to hear. I'll go into hostile environments because they're dying and they need the message of God's love for them. I didn't hardly want to share that with you. Because that's not where most of us are. I, I can't say that's where I am. It seems so radical. Seems a little crazy. And yet someone needs to reach them. Someone needs to be willing to risk all for the cause of Christ. And I had my objection to the message. Well, it's better for uh, local people to do that. It's, it's better for indigenous peoples to do that. We gave an easy response to that. There's no local Christians. <laughs> Great idea, Brian, <laughs> except there are no Christians there. <laughs> oh, okay. So someone needs to reach them. Someone needs to be willing to give up their life if that's what it takes. We can't leave this text without wrestling with this truth that Jesus' call to taking up a cross really was and is, even in 2012, a call to surrender everything, including life, to him. Paul and Peter and Stephen all surrendered to the point of death for the cause of Jesus Christ. People all over the world today are surrendering all for Christ and yet comfortable American Christians say that Jesus' message is about having our best life now. At least 46% of us. The third thing, if you're going to have real life, you need to live like Jesus is better than the whole world. Jesus asked what we've benefited if we gain the whole world at the expense of rejecting his call to follow him. The answer is obvious. If we do that, we've made a really bad deal. Because we lose eternal life if we do that. Are you living, am I living like Jesus is, is in fact better than the whole world? Do we live in a way that says Jesus is better than our comfort? Jesus is better than our success? Jesus is better than the approval of people who have rejected Christ? Jesus is better than our favorite sin? And the answer is that too often Christians live as if the things of this world are better than Jesus. 
The old song says, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Listen, friends, Jesus is better than the whole world. And if you want the life that is really life, if you want life that lasts, if you want real life, both now and forever, don't cling to this world. Let go of this world to strengthen your grip on Jesus. You want real life. Live like Jesus is better than the whole world because he is better than the whole world. And finally, if you're going to have real life, you need to live like Jesus is coming again. Jesus ties his teaching about denying self, taking up a cross, and following him to the day when he comes in glory. He tells us not to try to save life. He tells us not to avoid a cross. He tells us not to avoid denying ourselves, not to shrink back from embarrassment on account of him because he's going to return in glory. Friends, if you want to have real life, if you want to live the life that pleases God, if you want encouragement toward denying self, dying to self, and following closely after Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to drive this truth deep into your spirit. Jesus Christ is coming again. He is. He is coming again. This life isn't all there is. You don't have to fight and claw and scrape to get it all now. This is our fear that that we have to get it all now because this is all there is. We give lip service to believing in the return of Christ and eternal life, but our actions communicate that we believe that this life is our only chance at life, but it isn't because our hope is secure. Our hope is true. Jesus Christ is coming again. You can live a life of self-sacrifice. You can be satisfied with not getting it all now. You can avoid this tragic mistake at trying to save life at the expense of real life by knowing that Jesus is coming because he is. And friends, your best life was never intended by God to be now. It wasn't. You guys have heard me talk enough. You know, I'm, I'm in favor of enjoying life. I, I enjoy life. But now is not the time of your best life. Now is not the time of my best life. How could it be? This age is marked by sin, disease, sickness, tears, and death. Listen to all the prosperity gospel you want. Every single one of us in here will eventually succumb to disease, sickness, tears, and death. How could this be our best life now? No, friends. Our best life is yet to come. It is yet to come. And it's that realization that enables us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow hard after Jesus, even when doing our own thing would be the easier path. And so if you want to have real life, if you want to follow after Jesus, boldly identify with him. Lay down your life for him.
Live like he's better than the whole world because he is, and live like he's coming again because, in fact, he is coming again. Why don't you stand?